I'm Jack Zemlicka, and welcome to this episode of our 2018 Strip-Till Farmer Podcast Series. Today's program, Pushing for Perfection with Your Strip-Till Seedbed, is being brought to you by TopCon Agriculture. If this is your first time tuning in, you can subscribe to this series and get updates on future episodes currently available in iTunes, the Google Play Store, SoundCloud, Stitcher Radio, and TuneIn Radio. Or if you prefer another app for listening to podcasts, let us know and we'll look to get it added. Thanks again to TopCon Agriculture for its support of this podcast series. Agronomy Matters and TopCon Agriculture application solutions make it work. From planning to precision machine control, NORAX boom height control, monitoring and mapping, to data management, you have the total set of solutions to maximize your agronomic plan. Find out how to make the most of your 4R nutrient stewardship with precision technology that is unmatched in ease of use. Visit them at topconpositioning.com slash growing solutions. And I'd like to invite you to attend the 5th Annual National Strip Tillage Conference, July 26th and 27th in Iowa City, Iowa. The 2018 event will feature a mix of general sessions, classrooms, and roundtable discussions on topics and trends specific to strip till. Look for speaker announcements and conference updates at striptillconference.com. Well, for more than 25 years, Brandon Honeycutt's family has utilized some form of conservation tillage on their 2,600-acre operation near Giltner, Nebraska. But it wasn't until 2006 that they committed to strip-till on the majority of their acres after primarily no-tilling and ridge-tilling corn, soybeans, seed corn, and popcorn. Patience is a big part of Brandon's strip-till philosophy with a goal of creating an ideal growing environment through timed nutrient applications, proper equipment setups, crop flexibility, and efficient irrigation. The strategy is paying off with consistent strip-till corn yields near 250 bushels per acre. In today's Strip-Till Farmer podcast brought to you by TopCon Agriculture, Brandon evaluates the challenges and rewards of utilizing strip-till in an irrigated cropping system comparing and contrasting different strip-till equipment setups and assessing the value and drawbacks of deep place nutrients. As you mentioned, we do farm about 2,600 acres. It's fully irrigated. It's my dad and my brother. We live about an hour and a half west of here, just off I-80. Everything now, I have full center pivot irrigation because thankfully we only have about 20 links of pipe we have to put out now. 10 years ago, I didn't say that, but we've, throughout time, we've been able to get everything to center pivot irrigation. And our majority of our crops are corn, soybeans, seed corn, popcorn. We're transitioning some into organic because of the popcorn. There's, there's a popcorn facility up by Chapman that determined that there's a lot of need for organic popcorn as a demand for it. So we're involved with transitioning over to that. And we put the cover crops in there because it's, obviously there's some sort of the buzzword about it, about sustainability. Also in our seed corn production, uh, Syngenta has really started to push us towards using cover crops. And in some of our other avenues, we'd really like to use cover crops to help with some areas that, that we have concerns about, but I'll get into that after a while. And put the technology down there mainly because throughout time, a lot of this of what we've done has been because of 
We wouldn't have been able to do without the increase in technology, as we're all aware. You know, you can't get into to a good, consistent strip till, good, consistent rows, good, consistent tillage, anything without really good technology. And we've been blessed in our area early on to, to jump onto that bandwagon and really get, get moving with it. So we get a little, a little bit of a history here. So we mentioned that it used to be that my, it was my dad and my uncles that farmed together. And for years, we were the, the full tillage full fall tillage followed by two cultivations and a ridging. You know, I remember growing up getting the, finally getting the joy of running the cultivator when you're a young kid, it seems like a great job. I get to run the cultivator, then you realize at some point that I don't like running the cultivator. It gets long, it gets tedious. Somebody's always yelling at you because you're not doing it fast enough. We ran into situations where with seed cord production, they want us to put a ridge up, you get rain, things would start breaking over, and, and we were never doing everything timely, but that's what we did. And we all know that because we didn't have GMO crops, we didn't have the ability to spray Roundup. You know, the closest thing we did to Roundup was using a, a bean buggy or, or a, a wiper on the front of a, of a sprayer to go out there and, and wipe, wipe the um, shatter cane or spray beans, spot spray beans. Well, as far as I can remember, that's how we did things. I remember having the two four-wheel drives. I remember having everything out there that, that seemed to be what you did. You know, going out there with dad or grandpa or whoever, being out there disking down. And then at the time we were growing seed for Pioneer and they changed from doing six females and two males to doing a four-one rotation. Well, everything we were doing was eight row and 16 row, which set up perfect for that six-two rotation. Well, it does not work. Eight row does not work in four-one. You can make 16 row work, but at the time we decided, well, let's go ahead and change to 10 row, which then also meant that we were going to completely change the way we were doing things. And the way we did it then is when we talked about going to ridge till, we ended up, because I got the joy of helping build the planter, we ended up putting it on a sidewinder. So we were going full out ridge till using a sidewinder, you know, cultivating twice, throwing up a ridge, shredding the stocks and coming back through in the next spring with that sidewinder with planter mound behind it, one pass planting, and it worked great. You're the lucky one who all of a sudden the little rubber piece inside of the sidewinder decides to wrap itself around the sidewinder and you spend six hours underneath of, of the sidewinder with a torch and a hose, torching off all that, all that rubber, which I got to do because I was one running the planter at the time. So as, as we moved on, we still had to, we still maintained the concept of ridge till, but we weren't happy we weren't happy with the speed of what we were doing things, but we were very happy with the way the system worked. When we talk about, when I talk about trying to get to a perfect seed bed, I still consider using that sidewinder with the planter mounted behind it as being able to produce the perfect seed bed that we wanted. To this day, when I see, we have a cousin who just got, got went away from it a couple years ago. When I'd go out there and look at his corn, that seed bed was nearly perfect. You know, it was raised up, it was flat, there was a consistent spot. It was not gonna sit in water, because if it did, it means we had a lot of water and everything was in trouble. But it would stay warm, it would come out of the ground, I'd see a stands, they were great. But our challenge for us became is that we need to do things a little quicker. So we modified our ridge till system. So then we tried to figure out, okay, how are we gonna do this thing? Which still meant that we weren't sure how we were gonna do it, but we tried different things. The first one was we pulled the planter off of the sidewinder, so we were still shredding stocks, and then we got kind of caught in a situation where, where we weren't sure how we wanted to move to the next phase, so we still used the sidewinder hooked up to a tractor at five miles an hour, which let me tell you is really boring, which is worse than shredding stocks. 
I sat there, stayed a couple passes ahead of dad, and he would come back through and plant it. We did that one year. Then we decided to move on to the next, next phase, which was, all right, let's go to one of these uh, row stumpers over here. So we, we, we would um, sh maybe shred the stocks, and we'd come back through in the spring, and we'd run that through and flip the stock out of the ground. It, it worked pretty well, but we still weren't satisfied. So then, you know, we made some modifications. Some guys around us have done the same things as we're running row stalkers with choppers on the back. So you're, you're kind of flattening out the top, pulling the stump out, but it still wasn't the perfect seed bed. Because when you run that chopper, you end up with some waves in there that the planter doesn't necessarily roll, doesn't hold the best in, you know. And, and this, you gotta remember, this is before we started adding on the different technology that we have on the planters, the different things from precision planting or from John Deere or from whoever to help keep a consistent down pressure. So we, we were looking at this going, okay, we don't like this, it, it works fast, we can do things quickly. And then we made the next change. And the next change was we were adding some acres, but we weren't adding help. So that meant we had to do one of two things. We run two 10 row planters. So we either had to go to a bigger planter or hire more people. So we went to a 24 row planter, added auto steer, and then we determined that we've got to do something different because we're not going to be able to hold that planter. We tried it. We tried to hold that planter on a ridge. We tried everything we could to hold that pole type planter on a ridge. It lasted from here to that wall. And then we went to plan B. We, could, we went, all right, we've got to do something different. We cannot do this. Which in a lot of situations, it's probably okay when you're trying to plant seed corn. It doesn't work. You get, we, we have enough trouble planting female and male in the right spot when everything's running smoothly technology-wise, even on a ridge, let alone if you're trying to pull a 24-row pull type and come back with some sort of mounted, mounted male planter. So as we looked around, we had ripped everything up, and we decided that um, you know there, there's some things we're trying in the seed, that we were trying some, some um, relay intercropping. So we still had our mounted planter so we could do some of that. But we had torn everything up because of going to the 24 row of being able to use the auto steer. We just, we started looking into strip till, which to us made a lot of sense because we weren't sold on the fact that we were gonna be able to consistently no-till. And part of that was due to the fact that we like to plant corn on corn. We're in that area that there are some guys that are 50-50, but those of us in our county, you go to the county of the east, you go a little bit to the south, we like to plant corn on corn on corn on corn. We don't, we don't want to rotate. We know how to grow corn. We know how to grow corn well. Again, that leaves some challenges with no-till. So we look at this and go, okay, what is the closest thing that we can maybe do that, that looks like it's working the soil, it gives us the benefit of no-till, and gives us everything else. So it's obviously, let's go to strip-till, let's try it. And in our case, we looked around and, and in all honesty, Orthman's an hour from our house, hour and a half from our house. We ended up with an Orthman one-tripper. Ended up with two of them partly because we also ran Orthman, Orthman cultivators. So we had a history with, with Orthman doing things. So the way we looked at it is we're, we're doing the combination of conservation tillage. We were kind of working through everything. And it worked well for the seed, it worked well for the beans, it worked well for the corn, it worked well, corn, but it, I think our challenge is, is that we've never been, I'll be all, all honest, I've never been as satisfied with the way it plants as back on the ridge till, on anything. But again, I don't necessarily want to be out there cultivating. Not, not that there's anything, I think we're at, we're at that stage, we're probably going back to more and more of it. It's just with, with myself personally, I've got some other interests, some other things I'm involved with. I'm like, what can we do that, that we can do this better? So it's, it's strip till.
We'll get back to Brandon's discussion shortly, but I wanted to once again thank our sponsor, TopCon Agriculture, for making this podcast possible. Agronomy Matters and TopCon Agriculture application solutions make it work. From planning to precision machine control, NORAG's boom height control, monitoring and mapping, to data management, you have the total set of solutions to maximize your agronomic plan. Find out how to make the most of your 4R nutrient stewardship with precision technology that is unmatched in ease of use. Visit them at topconpositioning.com slash growing solutions. Well, having had the chance to visit Brandon's farm a few years ago, one of the aspects of his strip-till operation that stood out to me was his willingness to experiment, especially with precision technology. Brandon had begun utilizing crop sensors to better time in-crop nitrogen applications with successful results. Typically, he would make an application of 32% nitrogen at V10 stage corn, often based on visual evidence the crop needed it. However, utilizing sensor technology has since allowed him to decrease his in-crop nitrogen application by about 25 gallons per acre without seeing any yield drag. Let's get back to the program now hear more from Brandon Honeycutt on how to define the perfect seedbed in a strip-till system. So we talked about what is the perfect seedbed, and this is where I was getting into a discussion is the first thing was, well, this is strip-till into a soybean field. It looks pretty good. That was when I pulled up with some sort of, you know, supposed to be some sort of full tillage pass. You know, as you're trying to pull up pictures off the internet, things don't always work well. And then you've got no-till. And I think everybody's, you know, everybody looks at a perfect seed bed as different. I really think that. I think there's the guys who are no-till guys, and this is the absolute perfect seed bed. Strip-till guys, that's it. The conservation guys, it's the, or the uh, full-tillage guys, it's the other ones. You know, we see it around us. We've had this argument on the farm about where we want to go from, from here, because we have guys around us in our count, right around us, we have guys doing, when I asked for a show of hands of what everybody did, we have that going on all around us. We have some guys that are full tillage. We have some guys that are, that are some sort of ridge till, modified ridge till. We've got the strip till guys. We've got some no till guys. And we've had this discussion of partly it's the, how do we want, how do we want the field to look? What's the most consistent? What's, what, what can we do to, to make things go quicker? What can we do to do things a little bit better? But it always comes back to what is the perfect seed bed? What, what is the thing that's going to, you know, I hate to be the guy talking, you know, you hear these other guys talking about to get 300 bushel yield, you need 300 bushel stand. To get 400 bushel yield, you need 400 bushel stand. Well, how do we get that? How do we get there? Does the seed bed actually matter? You know, in a lot of ways we, we talk about this, but how much is it important? You know, I talk about seed depth and going back to some of those challenges we had, you know, without technology, Seed depth was hard to maintain. Sometimes it was the easiest technology, it was just adding on seed firmers. Some, some research we had done, and we were trying to do planting speed studies, and we couldn't figure out, it was supposed to show a decrease in yield, and it didn't. And we figured out, well, it was just adding, adding a seed firmer. So that started out the seed depth as we moved on to the next thing. We have a lot of tools out there that can, that can help with seed depth. Seed to soil contact, we always talk about that. And it's hard to prove. It's hard to look at, really. I think it's because by the time you dig up a seed, you have good seed to soil contact because you've dug that seed up and usually you flick the seed out of the, out of the trench anyway. 
So how do you, how do you major seed to soil contact? You know, you pull up the, uh, the closing wheels. So it's, but, but we talked about that, it doesn't matter. Does the seed to soil contact actually matter? Uniform emergence, all right? We, we talk about this all the time. And we've all heard uniform emergence matters on yield. Well, there's also some of the stuff that says the, you need everything to come up with, what, within 24 hours, 36 hours, whatever it is. Well, one of the fields we had some, some research Aurora Co-op was doing, on, doing last year, they were measuring some stuff. They went out there and they took emergence coming up every, I think it was every 12 hours. And then they showed us the pictures and granted, this is just our field. So this is not a blanket statement of this is the way it is everywhere. But our seed that came up third in the time frame, not the first stuff, which the other guys who talk about always talk about the first stuff. It's yield goes down like this. Ours went like this. So the third stuff that came up was the highest yielding. All right, so our, you know, our emergence wasn't even. So if it all came up first, our yield would have been lower than that. So, so we talk about this. Doesn't matter. I think it does and uniform spacing. You know, all these things matter. And how much does it matter with the perfect seed bed? I think, I think it matters, actually I do think it matters greatly because I think they're all major components in how it works, but it all starts with that seed bed. It all starts with how is that seed bed going to be prepared? Is it going to be prepared in a way that that seed can easily go into that soil, make contact, come out of the ground easily and your, your plant spacing is such that, it, that it's, that it's uh, you have uniform spacing. We know full well, you get a planter unit bouncing, you're gonna have non-uniform spacing, you're gonna have non-uniform seed depth. Well, if you have that, everything goes away. You know, we, we know they all work together. Are, is any one of them important by themselves? Maybe, are they all important together? Most definitely. So how do we get there? And this is the thing that I've, I've struggled with for a long time is how do we get to the perfect seedbed? You know, is, is it something that we can obtain? And as we move in this concept of things like cover crops, we've already have the no-till thing, but we move into cover crops, well, that just adds another component that's gonna make it a challenge. You have the benefit, but there's gonna be a challenge. So how do we get there? You know, we, we've got, I've just pulled up three random, random strip-till strip -till machines. You know, we've got a whole bunch of them out there. Which one's the right one? You know, if I ask any, anybody in here that's using one, they're gonna say theirs is the right one. But I think they all serve a different purpose. And that's what we were trying to get to is, okay, which one do we want based on what we're trying to achieve? What is our long-term goal? What is it we want to do to our soils to make the perfect seed bed that may not happen this year, but maybe it's two or three years down the road. And then at that point, we have the perfect seed bed or as near as to perfect as we can get based on what we're trying to do. In all honesty, our perfect seed bed this year, we had some corn stalks baled and the outfit that actually chopped the stalks did a really bad job and took everything off the ground. They're supposed to leave like 50%, they didn't. It was bare dirt. We went in behind that and strip tilled it and um, couldn't find the strip in the spring because the dirt had blown. Half the strips were run over by the, the, the urea applicator. But where we did plant, that stuff planted actually really well. You know, there was no, no trash on it, which is nothing I recommend. But it had been strip-tilled, and you still couldn't find the strip, but, but it, it looked really well. So which, which one do we use? 
So I bet if I asked everyone in here strip tills, they'd pro I'd probably come with 10 different companies that you guys are using. And around us, we have, we have guys that are use, using all these kinds. We've got guys who have built their own. They only sort of work because they've, they've moved on to something else um, because they were trying to modify and go into a situation where they were, I sort of want to strip till, I sort of want to put on anhydrous, I sort of pole type it. You know, it, was the, it worked. Maybe not perfect, but it did work. So how do we get there? Which one do we use? Do we, is it a combination of them? Is it, is it using two of them? Is it using one in the fall, one in the spring? Is it just doing it in the fall? Is it just doing it in the spring? Which one is it? In our case, we've done both spring and fall. We've had good luck with both. Depending on the year, this is what gets a little strange on this year is when I was, it wasn't when I was planting, I was putting watermark sensors in the same field that they took all the trash off of. About three-fourths of it we strip-tilled in the fall. The other fourth we strip-tilled in the spring. Where we strip-tilled in the fall, where it blew and they ran stuff over it. When I put the, when I put the soil probe in the ground and I was putting the moisture sensors in the ground, I went right down really easily. In the spring, that one was hard as a rock. And it, it, it was nothing that we had seen before. And I don't know if I hit a wheel track. I don't know what happened, but it's what we saw. Now, the only other time we've really had any sort of issue in the spring was, I think it was the first year we strip-tilled. Okay, so our side hills, or where I live, okay, we don't really have hills. They're more of a, you know, they're little drop-offs. So when we, when we talk hills in central Nebraska, it's not really much, but it was enough that we had a big, we had strip-tilled, planted, had a big rain. And all the seed in that, where we strip-tilled, ran right to the bottom of the uh, draw, right where the seed trench was. Where the wavy cultures were, it held perfect. It was just that it was the wrong timing for that rain in the seed trench. Wouldn't have mattered if we would have strip-tilled, if we would have conventional-tilled, that wouldn't have mattered because of the rain, but it, the rest of what that, that concept was supposed to do worked. So we saw that, that it works there, but we're still in that concept of how do we get to that perfect seed bed? So some of the challenges we know we face is, is timing. Again, when do you do it? Fall, spring? Do you hire somebody right, right behind the combine to do it? Do you do it right ahead of the planter? What, 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 what's the timing? How, how does that work? Workload. In our case, we still have three of us, and during harvest, we're still harvesting. So, so the workload, do we wanna keep running this all the way? What's our workload we want? How big do we wanna go? Do we wanna run a 24 row strip till machine? you know, but not be able to run shanks on it because we want to go bigger and faster? Or do we, do we go ahead and just get a giant tractor and pull the biggest thing that we can and get as much done in as hurry as we can because of the workload? Which takes us to the equipment. How much equipment do, how much different equipment do we want? How much different, different sizes of tractors do we need? Do we really want to roll a huge tractor with a huge strip till machine, but we're, we're only pulling uh, the planter we're pulling, we don't need that big of a tractor. So what, what, what do we do equipment-wise? How much do we want to spend? Again, horsepower. You know, we start looking at sheer horsepower. These were the challenges we ran into. Weather, again, the reason we strip to a lot in the spring is because of the fall, it's just weather. You know, so as we're trying to develop the perfect seed bed, now you've got the weather thrown into it. GPS challenges, and we know there's a lot of guys that have had those over the years, and a lot of these challenges until you get good solid GPS signals, you know those things don't necessarily work right. Cover crops, this is our next challenge. And around us this year, we've had more rye planted than 
I've ever seen. And we've had guys doing it that I never would have thought would do cover crops. And most of the guys who are doing cover crops also strip till. When do you strip till the cover crop? In our case, it was all right. Do you, do you strip till it when it's here? Saw some guys do that. A month later, it was still growing in the, it came back in the row. Do you do it when it's here and you kill it? We did some of that. It worked pretty well. Um, seemed to work, seemed to die out. Seemed to how, how are you gonna handle the cover crop? In our case, it was just rye, except for on the seed fields where we did have some um, turnips and radishes and that worked fine. But what, what if we add different mixes in? What's that gonna do to try and run a strip till machine through there and the timing of it? The soil, you know, do you have, in our case, it's silt loam soils. We're not running into some of the clayey soils. We're not running into sandy soils. But what, what are your challenges with soil and trying to come up with that? If you have, we have one field that um, a lot of dirt had been moved on and it ha it's 30 acres worth and it should be worked in the fall like with strip till, but it doesn't always work. It's a, it's a seed field and the, and, and the neighbors want to run cattle on it. All right, so what, what do the soil conditions have? What's our purpose? I think, that, I think that's the biggest question that any of us have to face is what is our purpose of trying to strip till and trying to make, get the perfect seed bed? Is our purpose just because it's the latest thing to do? Is our purpose that we want to apply fertilizer with it? Is our purpose that, that we want to maintain as much residue as possible? What is our purpose? These, are, these were the challenges that, that we face, that we're trying to figure out for ourselves, even, even now. Okay, what, what is it as we're trying to develop that seed bed, which one of these things do we want to work on? Which one of these things is our biggest challenge? Which one of these things do we want to change? You know, do we really want to go out We've had this conversation on flipping to the other side and going back to some concert, going back to full tillage. Because there's guys around us doing that and we all know the weed pressure that's happening in certain areas of the United States. Dad threw out the idea of doing that and so my brother and I were talking, so we need to go get a big four wheel drive tractor, a 40 foot disc, a 40 foot cultivator, field cultivator. We've already got the cultivator because of the seed corn. So do we need to get another cultivator? What do we need? For, like, so we're gonna spend what? half a million, a million dollars for that? Or do we, do we change something else in here? We change our equipment, we change our purpose, we change what we want to do and accomplish everything else. Add the, add the cover crops, find a way to destroy them. You know, what we were looking at is, is we're trying to find this perfect seedbed, this perfect, this ideal zone. What are our benefits? Well, we figured out for us, we get warmer soil. You know, I know some areas of the United States, it doesn't, it doesn't you know, soil stays cooler longer, some gets warmer faster, but we knew we needed to warm the soil up based off what we were seeing underneath the um, residue that we were leaving on the corn, the corn side. We, we, we realized we were too cool, too long to make it work. And we, we'd see the guys um, around that were trying to make the argument for straight no-till, corn on corn, and then we start asking them um, questions. And you, well, that corn's like, yeah, we need to add a little more fertilizer, it's not coming out of the ground as fast you know, our benefits. We're retaining lots of residue, which we, we know we need to do. Um, we've ver we've uh, vertical tilled some ground because we thought that would, we were just doing some experiment and most of those stalks blew into my dad's backyard in town, I think. And the neighbor and one other part that I think, I think my brother said they actually bailed them and sold them. So we realized that, okay, maybe that's not the wisest idea if you're not gonna get any moisture is to vertical till in the fall. 
We found sometimes it worked, but the benefit, you know, applying fertilizer. We've tried it, and again, that goes back to the whole concept of timing and workload. So we've applied fertilizer with ours in the, in the spring um, using just straight anhydrous, using an Xactric system, but it was the timing issue, it was the workload issue. It was the, we can do some things faster, we can have urea applied, we can do some of that, but you can apply, you know, is your benefit applying fertilizer? Are you set up to do that? You know, the, do you want to deep band the fertilizer? Is there benefits to that? You know, would you rather not do that? Soil compaction zones, and I know we're still dealing, dealing with that, going back to the way we treated soil for a number of years, knowing the way that some of the rented ground that we have, that soil was treated. We're still trying to break up those soil compaction zones. Where we end up seeing the benefit was the one field I'd mentioned that we've got 30 acres, 40 acres, where we need to do it in the fall. Brother and I were running two tractors. It was kind of fun to watch because one was an IVT and one wasn't, and the IVT, same size tractors, the IVT was running circles around the other strip-till machine. And we could tell exactly when we'd hit those compaction zones. I mean, it would just, the one tractor would about come to a stop. And after a couple years, we realized that we were able to maintain the exact same depth that we were going a couple years prior and go a whole lot faster. So we realized that we were breaking through those compaction zones and loosening that soil up. And just for giggles, we'd, get, we'd see how fast we can go and, and see at what point it get, becomes throwing too much dirt. You know, this, going back to the seed to soil contact, it starts, I think it, it does improve that. Especially when you do it the right way, and you're not, you're filling in those gaps, you're not doing some of those things. And we've, we've, we've tried it in our case with a rolling basket on the back, taking it off in the fall, taking it off in the spring. We've done it both ways, we've tried different ways. We see other guys doing it. We, we think we're getting good seed to soil contact, we're getting good, good things coming out of the ground, we're getting, we think, better uniformity, but how much again is that? strictly st strip till or is that strictly is that also the uh the uh added added tools we're adding on the on the planner you know i talk about can make a hybrid tillage program you know going back to this discussion we're having about going back to full tillage versus what we're doing now what what can we um is this kind of that hybrid is that kind of that in between where you can make everybody happy can you make everybody happy with 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 what it is um and soil moisture retention. You know, in our, in our case, we have the ability to irrigate. We have the ability to, to make sure water's running all the time, but we realize we can retain a lot of moisture. And we've done things by keeping probes out all winter, because I want to see what's going on out there once in a while, whether it was with cover crops or with something else, and we'll realize the neighbors are griping that it's, for the last three years, we've had people on Twitter saying, not too far from us going, oh, it's drought 15, it's drought 16, it's drought 17 knowing they've had the same moisture we have, knowing what they're doing. And I've got the probes in the ground to prove that. No, we're holding water. We're not losing the moisture. We're keeping the outside of the fields of we have vertical till, but we're keeping the, 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 the residue on the surface and we're re retaining the moisture, which then obviously when going back to some of the, the stuff like the University of Nebraska says that if we have a full, full profile in our area on June 1, we don't have to irrigate till roughly tassel time assuming you're not 100 degrees in wind. So we realize that we're retaining the moisture, which then gives us the benefit of saving money on irrigation. So through all of that, you know, we, have, we have these benefits, we have these challenges, we, we've, been, we've been seeking this out. Can I, can I say we found the perfect seed bed? No, can I say we're still in, in, in um, search of it? Yes, and I think our challenge now becomes is as we've added the cover crops in, 
What's that going to do as we, as we add in the other, other systems? And our next challenge is making the, the, perfect, um, the perfect seed bed for organic. Because there's not a lot of guys, most of the guys around us doing organic production are doing um, full tillage. We're, we tried a modified no-till system this year. I want to try to figure out how we, can, how we can hybrid everything together. And we can use cover crops and organic and strip-till. Maybe not do a strip-till like wide area that's stripped to do a really narrow area that we can, since we have to control the weeds somehow, that's not um, obviously with chemicals. So how can we do that? So that's our next thing. How do we make the perfect seed bed for organic and be able to do all of that. Well, thank you, Brandon, for sharing your tips and strategies for creating an ideal seed bed in strip-till. And again, we'd like to recognize and thank our sponsor, Topcon Agriculture, for helping make this strip-till farmer podcast series possible. I certainly look forward to your feedback on today's program, so feel free to drop me an email at jzemlicka at lessitermedia.com or give me a call at 262-777-2441. You can also keep up on the latest strip-till practices impacting your farm today by registering online at striptillfarmer.com for our free strip-till strategies daily e-newsletter. And be sure to follow us on Twitter at striptillfarmr and on our Striptill Farmer Facebook page. And I'd like to once again invite you to join us at the 5th Annual National Strip Tillage Conference, July 26th and 27th in Iowa City, Iowa. Again, the 2018 event will feature a mix of general sessions, classrooms, and roundtable discussions on topics and trends specific to strip till. Look for speaker announcements and conference updates at striptillconference.com. Well, I hope that you'll join us again on May 18th for the next episode in our 2018 podcast series. And a reminder, you can still register to receive our free Strip-Till Farmer print publication at striptillfarmer.com. For Brandon Honeycutt, Topcon Agriculture, and our entire staff here at Strip-Till Farmer, I'm Jack Zemlicka. Thanks for listening. <music>